you all. Wasn't that precious to have the kids there and uh, sharing? I, I'm glad this is a multi-generational church. You know, some churches are, uh, the leadership lead the church just to reach out to a certain segment of the population, uh, but the church is supposed to be multi-generational where every group is doing something to speak into the lives of others. So I'm really happy to see uh, this. Just a, a word of, uh, of uh, prayer, I think would be appropriate today. Let's remember what the church is, uh, is a, about to do. On the 15th, there will be a vote of the members regarding the call of a new lead pastor, uh, Brian McCoy. And uh, I hope that you'll be here and participate in that day. Uh, it might not be my place to say it, but uh, I think he's a great guy. And uh, I think he'll be a blessing to you all. Uh, and uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's remember that. Uh, also, uh, there was uh, one of your members, I won't point him out, who is... Uh, from the Bahamas, and of course the storm is just barreling down on the Bahamas. Uh, a lady is from Granada, I guess it's passed there, but they have to do the cleanup, and then I think many of us have friends in Florida that we want to be in prayer for. And then finally, uh, a previous uh, a staff member of ours in, uh, in Oklahoma, uh, his wife was told yesterday she has a very aggressive brain tumor. We, we have known them for uh, 22, 23 years. Uh, they are wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, and uh, we've traveled the world with them, just godly people in all circumstances. So please remember them that the Lord might bless Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We turn to it now, knowing, Father, full well that you speak to us in the Bible, in Scripture. We pray that you'd speak to us through your book today. And Father, we do pray for uh, this couple where she is um, facing some really dire situations. We know that you are the healer. Uh, we know, Father, that you can touch your life. We pray, Father, for healing in the name of Jesus. And of course, Father, we pray for the people of Bahamas and uh, Florida and other that, uh, Lord, that there might be safety. And if you would turn that storm out, that would be wonderful, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oops, sorry. Uh, we are in Acts chapter number two. And uh, by the way, I have two grandsons with us today. Uh, this is William. He's waving to you. <laughs> Hi, William. And uh, Xander, Alexander. Xander, can you wave it, Papa? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. These are our uh, youngest son's kids. And uh, they are, like the others, perfect in every way. 
I love, love you guys. I'm glad you're here while mom and dad are away. We've got to get them out of town more often so you can come and see us. All right, we're in Acts chapter 2. We made our way to chapter 2 now as in our trek through the book of Acts. Uh, when, I, when I was younger, uh, well, let me put it this way. Uh, every generation of the church seems to have a special area of emphasis. Uh, the generation older than me, and there's still some of them alive, uh, they, uh, uh, their big emphasis was evangelism and missions. And um, then the current younger generation's big emphasis is on church organization and, uh, and something else, uh, and, and uh, the preaching of the gospel, which is all wonderful. Uh, and I don't know, ours, my generation was all about the church growth movement, and that was horrible. Uh, <laughs> that's just terrible in every, every way I can think of. Uh, but uh, there hasn't been an emphasis on the Holy Spirit in a long, long time. Many of us would say we don't remember the last time we had a Bible study on or a sermon on the Holy Spirit. Well, Acts chapter 2 is about the Holy Spirit's interaction with the church. And uh, indeed, this is something for us to know and live in. Uh, right, who is the Holy Spirit anyway? Well, I think those of you who have been Christians for some time know that the Holy Spirit is God in every way that the Father and Son is God, so the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, God meaning one in essence, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in essence, and three persons uh, together in complete unity. Uh, so the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, he is God's presence with us today. He is here with us uh, today. And uh, the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he, a personality, a being. Uh, all right, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Well, this passage does not tell us a lot about that, but just a quick reminder. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. None of us could be Christians if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit bringing conviction of sin and the need for Christ. Uh, he leads us to understand the truth. No matter what degrees you have from school, you cannot understand the scripture apart from the Holy Spirit in you teaching you. Yeah, I mean, you can understand you're lost and need Christ, but you cannot understand uh, anything else. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who saves us. He's the instrument of our regeneration, and he's the one that focuses on Christ, not on himself, but always on Christ and the one working to perfect us, to become like Jesus, here with us. He is God living in us. And so the Holy Spirit is, I could go, keep on going down this list of what he does. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and uh, faithfulness, and, and self-control. Uh, he's the one that does all of this. 
Now, today, we come to a defining moment in the history of the church in Acts chapter 2. I would say it's, this is one of the most important chapters in your Bible, one to know. It deals with, the first part of it deals with two major events. One is the coming of the Holy Spirit into our world in a different way than he's ever come before. And the second is, uh, at least I believe, the beginning of the church, the birthday of the church. Uh, now, we're going to look at first the arrival of the Spirit in, in a way that he had not come before. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came into our world and he indwelled people in our world to give them special power to do certain things that God wanted done. But uh, he, was, he always came temporarily, never permanently with someone. And that all changed at, during a Jewish celebration called Pentecost. Let's look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, the all would be the 12 apostles and then the rest of the 120 believers who were in the upper room praying. Uh, and, uh, all right, I, let me stop here. Uh, Pentecost was one of three required feasts for Jews. They were to go to Jerusalem and observe Pentecost. It was kind of an early harvest uh, celebration. It happened 50 days after Passover. Sometimes it's called uh, the feast or the festival uh, or the day of first fruits. And so during this time, Jews from everywhere they're Jews would come to Jerusalem. Uh, Africa, Asia, Europe, uh, the Middle East, they, they came from everywhere that the Jews had, had migrated to to celebrate uh, the day of Pentecost. The city of Jerusalem grew from about 60,000 people normally to about 180,000 people on Pentecost, the week of Pentecost. And so you get little idea of what we're talking about uh, here. This city is jammed packed with people. All right, now let's go on. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, the believers were sitting, and divided as a, uh, and, uh, and divided tongues as of fire. What's a tongue of fire? What's well, a flame? of fire, it, it divided itself, appeared and divided itself, uh, appeared to them resting on each one. So th the Holy Spirit came as a cleansing fire and he is upon each one of these believers and they were filled with the Spirit and uh, they spoke in and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
now, uh, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men and women from uh, all over the world, from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, uh, the multitude came together, and at this sound, the multitude came together, the rushing mighty wind, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astounded, astonished, saying, uh, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? All the disciples were, uh, all the apostles were from the Galilee area. And uh, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthenians and, and uh, Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius, this took practice, and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Okay, a lot of people from a lot of places and a lot of languages, both Jews and proselytes, Gentiles who had become Jews by, by faith. Uh, and uh, both Jews and, and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. He forgot those, he's gonna throw those in. We hear them telling in his own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Good question. Uh, all right, Jerusalem was crowded. I've already made th that, that point, and something happened. Actually, there was four things all wrapped up in this one thing that happened. First, there was a sound like a rushing mighty wind. Now, the, the key here is that it was on the inside of this room. Not outside, it was on the inside. I don't know if you've ever, uh, well, of course you have, during a time of the monsoon where the wind and dust and mud come uh, in, you, you know the sound of this rushing mighty wind. Uh, our house was in Oklahoma was near a tornado uh, one time, and enough that a lot of damage was done. And uh, uh, not to our house, but neighboring houses. And uh, the sound of that tornado coming through was amazing. Uh, and so this sound is on the inside of this room. And the sound attracted people, uh, non-believers, Jews, uh, to this area, to this house where the sound was. Next, uh, fire, something like fire, something like flames rested on each person. The word rested, by the way, is a technical word which means come with the idea of permanence, coming to stay. And that's different than the Holy Spirit had ever done before. Coming to reside in the believer permanently. And they were filled with the Spirit and they spoke in tongues. Now, what's happening anyway? Well, this is God's plan to change people. It's God's plan in part to evangelize the world. All of these people, uh, as they're hearing about Christ, uh, 
uh, they can go and tell others. So that's God's plan. Verse number seven. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one in his own language? Another thing that the Holy Spirit did was give them, each of them, of the 12, the gift of tongues. Now, I need to explain that, I think, a a little bit more. Because there are people today, there are churches today, that promote the idea that if you're saved, if you're filled with the Spirit, then you have to speak in some ecstatic uh, uh, utterance. I'm not saying that there's such a thing, not such a thing. Uh, what I'm saying is that's their belief. Everybody to prove that they're, they're uh, Christians has to speak in, in tongues. Uh, and they define that as some ecstatic utterance. Well, that's not what we're de- dealing with here. You see, the Bible speaks of two different kinds of tongues event. If you would, verse number four, it says, and when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. But in verse seven, it goes on to explain, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Why were they astonished? Because they were hearing in their own languages. Uh, and then in 1 Corinthians, we have a to- totally different kind of speaking in tongues. Verse 14, one says, uh, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy, preach. In other words, for one who speaks in t- tongue, meaning this ecstatic utterance, speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. See how different it is from Acts but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So, what we've got is this. We have two different kinds of tongues. One is the speaking of other known languages that you have not learned. Uh, in, in school, I, uh, I took Greek, I took Hebrew, and took German. Uh, actually, Hebrew took me, I should say. Hebrew and Greek and German. Uh, and you know, uh, I could pray for the gift of tongues, you know, there. Uh, Lord, give me the gift of tongues so I can speak German without all this study, you see. That was the whole idea here. They're speaking in, in language other than their own, but known by the people who have come to visit for the day of Pentecost. And the second kind of tongue is a a heavenly language that nobody understands. Completely different thing. And the scripture says they were filled with the Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it doesn't speak of volume. What it speaks of is being permeated with something. Like a, a a potato, if you put salt on the potato and smash it together, everything that you eat of the potato will have the flavor of the salt. It permeated, the Holy Spirit permeating our lives, touching everything that is about us. 
And it also means to empower. The idea of filling, maybe uh, filling the sails of a ship uh, and giving that ship power then to go. Uh, the Holy Spirit does that. He, he permeates us, he empowers us, and he also controls us. Well, if we go back to that wind uh, in the sails, that wind and sails are going to determine part of the direction of the person who is, uh, uh, who is in the boat and who is uh, steering. So what we know is this. The Holy Spirit is always associated with the power of God. Always associated with the power of God. He gives us the power to resist sin. He gives us the power to be witnesses for Christ. He gives us the power to obey God, to do everything that God wants us to do. He gives us power to do that and to serve him and so on. So here is the principle. If you haven't got all this other stuff, get this one thing. The Christian life is a supplied life. The Christian life is a supplied life. Please remember that. The Christian life is supplied to us by the Holy Spirit. It is not produced by us in our own efforts. You cannot live the Christian life, but the Holy Spirit in you can. He is your power to live for Christ and overcome temptation and overcome fear and, uh, and have joy. All of that, and peace, all of that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit uh, within us. Uh, we are called on to surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit so he can supply his life to us. Totally different picture of Christianity here. The Christian life is a supplied life. It's not produced by your efforts. And the Holy Spirit, as he's supplying life to us, as we yield control of our lives to him, he will supply that in our personal experience. Now, I want you to notice that people reacted in two different ways. Uh, one is that they were utterly amazed at what was happening, and that one I understand. But verse 13 says that others mocking said that they were filled with new wine. In other words, these people are drunk and they're just speaking gibberish. Now, how they can say that, I don't know, but that was their objection. There's always been objections to Christianity. The world always tries to, uh, to trivialize Christianity. And so they're just saying, well, uh, listen, th these people are just drunk. That's what, what has happened. So how did Peter deal with that? How did the apostles deal with that? He dealt with it through a sermon. And that sermon is um, found in verses 14 through 40. And I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. But his points were, number one, God told us all of this was going to happen. 
the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and this event on Pentecost, God told us all this was going to happen and in the Old Testament, and we shouldn't be surprised by it. And the second point is, remember that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He is the master, owner, ruler, controller of our world. He is also the savior for those who receive him. And uh, his third point was Jesus is uh, Lord and he is Christ and he was crucified. You crucified him is what Peter is saying. And then finally, you are guilty before God for what you have done to Jesus. Now, when they heard that, what happened? Well, uh, verse number 41 says this. And those who received his word, the preached word uh, from Peter, uh, and uh, those who received that word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow, what do you do with 3,000 new Christians? Uh, uh, it would have been amazing and overwhelming experience. Remember, 3,000. Uh, years ago, uh, the Lord did a very unusual work in the church I pastored in St. Louis, and I baptized 221 people in a week. 221. Uh, literally my arm and shoulder uh, hurt at the end of the week. I'm trying to hoist some of these people up out of the water. Uh, I don't mean to trivialize it. It was amazing, but 3,000? I, I mean, 3,000 people accepted Christ? Now, folks, if we define what a Christian is as a person who has repented of his or her sins, trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior to be the one who died for them on the cross uh, and who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, if we define a Christian like that, these are the first Christians. Not the first followers of God, like the Old Testament saints, but these are the first people who literally have trusted Christ and what he's done and then uh, were filled with the Spirit. If we define the church as a gathering of believers, Spirit-filled believers, who have received Christ, and preach the gospel, then this would be the birthday of the church. And so what we have here is a massive event, uh, one of the pinnacles of Christianity in which we have Christians being defined in a, a new way and in which the church is now functioning as that spirit-filled body of Christ. And that means, uh, again, the church has uh, been born. So if I could put all of this into perspective. Bethlehem was God with us. And Calvary is God for us. And 
Pentecost is God in us. See? If you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, automatically, at the moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit came to indwell you, to live in you, and to never leave and to give you the power to live for God. In other words, if you're a Christian, you now have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have God living in you. Now let's think of some of the applications of this. One is you're never alone. If you're lonely, if you feel like you're in this to all Uh, by yourself, that you're facing problems all by yourself, you're not because the Holy Spirit is always with you. He's with that that lady in Oklahoma that I I spoke of who has the brain tumor. Uh, He is with the person. He is in the person who is witnessing to someone else. He's in the person who's facing a temptation. You see, you are never alone. If you're lonely, you should know that you are not alone. God is in you. Of course, he is in you as you drive the car. He is in you as you're filling your income tax out. See, Uh, he is in you. In every way. Next, you can do everything that God tells you to do in his word. If God has told us to do something, he's given us the power to do it in the person of the Holy Spirit. So if you say, I cannot resist this temptation, I would say to you, you are absolutely right. You cannot resist the temptation, but the Holy Spirit in you can. You see? Uh, And so we have that assurance. It's the assurance that if God's word calls us to something or to not do something, God will give us the the, uh, power to obey him. Uh, I've I've kind of skirted around this. Let me come to it. Uh, God will give you the power to be a witness for Christ. Now, could we just be honest? I would suspect that the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians, probably in this room, uh, the majority of people never truly tell people about Jesus. And why is that? It's because we think that we can't or that we'll be embarrassed. But understand this, the Holy Spirit lives in you to overcome that shyness and to give you the words to say. So you can talk to your coworker, your fellow at school, your, uh, your family. You can speak with them about coming to Christ because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Uh, and then finally, Uh, you're safe. If the Holy Spirit has come to indwell you, you're safe. You're safe from what? 
Well, one thing is you're safe from losing your salvation, which was never yours to win or lose. Uh, You didn't save yourself. The Holy Spirit did. And he will keep you until the time that Christ comes for you. You are safe. You feel like my prayers do not get out of the room. They just go nowhere. Well, they don't have to. You see, they don't have to leave the room because God lives in you, you see. And so everything that you do, everything that God's called you to be is supplied to you by God himself. The Christian life is a supplied life. It is not produced by your best efforts. You can live for Christ. You can overcome fear. You can overcome temptation because God is in you. Never forget that he is in you. Now, if I could take a break from the passage uh, of, of a kind, and that is to say, those people who heard Peter's words in that sermon and responded to the word by receiving Christ and being baptized, those people show us what can happen in our own lives. We are hopelessly separated from God. But God did something about it. He's come into our world to live for us and die in our place. And now, he is offer of salvation comes to those that he's calling to himself. He's calling to himself. Just, I think, just one other thing might be appropriate here. Do you notice that these people received Christ and then they were baptized? Uh, they, They didn't say, well, I don't have time. They don't say I was embarrassed. They don't say I was sprinkled as a child. None of that. They all followed the Lord in believer baptism. Along with the Corinthian jailer and uh, along with the Ethiopian eunuch. In fact, we see this time and time and time again in the Bible. They were baptized. Have you been baptized as a believer in Christ? Not before. That's just getting wet. But these people received the word. They received Christ. And they were baptized. And there are those I would imagine here today who have trusted Christ, but you know that you've never been baptized as a believer. It is incumbent upon you to be obedient to that, and God will give you the strength. And we just invite you to uh, tell somebody at 
the uh, desk, the reception desk, that you need to know more about baptism. Don't put it off. All right, let, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are uh, joyful that we don't have to hope that maybe the Holy Spirit would come and help us with something, but that he lives in us. We're thankful for what we have in Christ and that the power to live for you is in us. And we pray, Father, that you might be glorified in us. We ask those who have on behalf of those who haven't received Jesus, that today the Holy Spirit would call them and they would respond. In Jesus' name, amen.